0: Luke chapter 11, we'll be back there today, if you have your Bibles, I hope you do, find your way to Luke chapter 11, as we pick up on the second part of a couple of messages that carry this same sort of theme of how to pray the disciples' way, and particularly today we're going to see that Jesus teaches us more about how we ought to be ushering our requests up to the Lord, and you see four different ways that we're going to kind of break down as we get into this passage that are listed there in the title of today's message. Praying compassionately, courageously, consistently, and confidently. Now when when my family and I were members of Woodbine Baptist Church before the Lord called us here to New Vision uh, a couple of years ago, after a year or so of attending there at Woodbine, I was asked to be the nominating committee chairman. And I did take on that role for several years. Now, our nominated committee had this task of recruiting volunteers to serve in various ministries of the church. You can think of it as, you know, we've got a long list of things that need to be done, various committees, various responsibilities. And each year, we, we would need to make sure that all of those obligations were taken care of. That full slate of ministry was filled with volunteers who would be willing to commit themselves to the ministry. And so uh, we, we spent a good bit of time just meeting together and talking about individuals and ensuring that individuals were ready to participate in certain roles. And once we were done with that, then we would nominate those individuals to the church who would then, via an up or down vote, approve those individuals with the official recommendation from our team in order to serve in those capacities for the next year. And I learned in the midst of that work of serving as a nominating committee chairman that there are two important components when it comes to asking individuals to serve in some particular ministry in the church. You must, first of all, know what to ask, but you also must know how to ask it and In our meetings, we would cover the part about what to ask. We discussed those individuals. We we discussed their gifts. We tried to align those gifts with the needs of the church. But then we had to transition into the mode of knowing how to ask those individuals to step into those roles. And starting out, I would say that my asking was a little bit timid. I had the mentality that, that asking individuals to serve in the ministry was an inconvenience to individuals. And so I would be cautious and I would feel like I needed to be careful in trying to create this persuasive sort of pitch that would win individuals into this idea of serving. I often came with the expectation that these individuals would be saying no. That was a preconceived notion that I had so often when I was going to try and ask individuals to serve in these roles. And if someone said, let me pray about it, which is like a, like a 90% no, okay? But if someone said, let me pray about it, then oftentimes I would just drop the ball and not follow up in a timely sort of mashing, a fashion. But over time, I learned that how we ask someone for something is important. And over time, I began to understand that some individuals actually desire to help. Some individuals actually desire to commit themselves to the Lord's work, and it's okay to come before them boldly. And some individuals will respond affirmatively if you ask them persistently. And so I learned that it's important to know not only what you should ask, but also how you should ask it. And some individuals have cultivated a skill in this area. When we have a need on our leadership team to ask someone to step into a new role, we know that Tammy Heath is our go-to individual. Because Tammy will ask with boldness, and she will ask with persistence, and she does a great work. God's given her a good gift in that area. We're so thankful for what she does in that space. Some individuals just have a greater strength than that. Some of us are a little bit more timid. But we tie that into this idea of prayer, Oh, wow, there are such rich blessings that we see in Luke chapter 11 related to this. But for some individuals, when they make a request of another, they know how to make that request boldly and persistently. Well, last week we began to look at Luke chapter 11. And in our looking at Luke chapter 11, especially those first four verses, we encountered there, in verse 1, this disciple who comes to Jesus after seeing Jesus pray... And he comes with a single request of Jesus. He said, Lord, teach us how to pray. I mean, there's something so vital in Jesus' life of prayer that this disciple, upon witnessing that, says, I've got to learn something about that. And Jesus honored that disciple's request by giving all of his disciples, and by extension, us, some very rich instructions on prayer. That's why we titled this couple of messages, How to Pray, the disciples' way. And Jesus taught the disciples how to pray, and as he did, he was teaching them how to make requests of the Heavenly Father. He was teaching them how to reach out to God and how to make our needs known and to seek his help with the things that honor his will in our lives. In so doing, Jesus is ultimately teaching all of us to ask God for his help in our lives. In fact, in the verses that we're going to see here today, the word translated ask appears five times in five consecutive verses. Last week, we saw in verses 2 through 4 how Jesus ultimately laid out this kind of model of prayer for us. It's a model that we know is the Lord's Prayer, although as I described last week, it's a prayer which calls for us to ask for forgiveness, which the Lord himself would never need to pray but it's a, it's a model that the Lord has given to us. So you can call it the Lord's Prayer. You might call it the Disciples' Prayer. But Jesus laid out this model in verses 2 through 4 for us. And much of what we see in this model prayer that Jesus gives to his disciples teaches us what we ought to ask of God. That is, we learn that what the substance of our prayers should be. We ought to pray with an acknowledgement of our relationship with God as Father. We ought to acknowledge his holiness By saying, hallowed be your name. We ought to pray that his kingdom would come. And that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. We ought to pray that he would give us daily bread. That he would forgive us of our sins. That he would lead us away from temptation. Those are great truths of what we should pray. But knowing what to ask for in prayer is only half of the battle. Just having a pattern of prayer won't make us into prayer warriors, we must also know how to make our requests in prayer. Are we to offer up these words that Jesus has given us in the Lord's Prayer alone? Or should we speak with words that deal with our ever-changing needs? Should we pray only once and then expect an answer? Or should we be persistent in our prayers? Should we approach God as this holy and hallowed one with fear and hesitation or should we come before him boldly? Well, that's what Jesus moves on to teach us here in today's passage. And in today's passage, we'll see that the Lord desires for us to pray in a way that is both bold and persistent. So join me now in Luke chapter 11. We'll be starting in verse 5. If you're able, I'd ask that you'd stand with me that we might honor the reading of God's word. As we read Jesus' instructions on how to offer up our requests in prayer. Starting in verse 5, Then he, that is Jesus, said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me from a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside he answers and says, do not bother me. The door has already been shut and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Then Jesus says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek. And you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish will he? Or if he's asked for an egg. He will not give him a scorpion will he? If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will your heavenly father give the holy spirit to those who ask him here ends the reading of god's word you may be seated in this passage jesus gives us first of all a parable in verses five through eight And then, secondly, a summary verse, kind of summarizing the lesson of that parable in verses 9 and 10. And then, finally, he gives us a couple of analogies in the way that we interact with our own children in verses 11 through 13. All of this in order to teach us how we ought to ask God for his good gifts. So, from this passage today, I want to share with you four lessons on how to ask God. For his good gifts. And the first of these is this. Pray compassionately. For God's kingdom is our ambition. In the parable that Jesus gives in verses 5 through 8. He describes the plight of this host. Who welcomes a guest. Who has arrived from out of town on a journey. In the middle of the night. Now for us to fully appreciate this parable. We need a little bit of context on what was going on in Jesus' day. First, we should know that it was customary in Jesus' day for individuals to travel at night. I mean, we're talking about living in the Middle East with the scorching heat of the sun. You can imagine that it would be a lot more convenient to travel under nightfall as temperatures were cooler. Furthermore, there were no phones in this day. Right, The logistics simply didn't allow for someone to contact their friend or their relative to say, hey, heads up, I'm coming into town this weekend. The only exception to that might be if you had someone who you knew who was going to that same area sometime in advance who could give a heads up to say, hey, I'm coming. But that wasn't always the case. And you should also know that Jews in Jesus' day had a high expectation When it came to hospitality, caring for individuals who came out of town was something that a host was expected to do. I mean, there was a great social obligation. You had this expectation that if a visitor came to your house from out of town, it was your duty to welcome that visitor, to care for him, no matter what hour of the day he may have arrived in. And to neglect this sort of duty would have brought great shame to the host, to not be able to provide for what your guests required would be scandalous. I mean, the closest thing we can probably tie that to in our day and age would be if you went to a wedding and you went to the reception and you realized there's no food. I mean, you can imagine the, the scandal of that sort of situation, right? I actually read in the news last October, I believe it was, there was a wedding up in Michigan where The caterer got the dates wrong. It did not show up for the wedding. And it just so happened that there was a restaurant next door to the facility where the reception was going to be. And they prepared 150 meals in the midst of 90 minutes. And so they really shut the whole restaurant down. With the same sort of thing that's happening in this passage here today. There were obligations. There were expectations. If you arrive, we expect food at this place. To not have that would be a taboo, and so a restaurant was willing to shut down its other business in order to help meet the obligations. Same sort of thing as what we're looking at here in this passage. To come to this host's house and not to find bread would be scandalous in this day. In fact, caring for towners was expected to be a shared community sort of responsibility. So in this parable, not only the host... But also the neighbor of the host whom he goes to looking for bread are expected to provide for the needs of -of out-of-towners. There's an obligation on both of them here. And finally, it's good for us to know that there was no 24-hour Walmart in Jerusalem, okay? All right, there was no place where this host could send his guest to in order to pick up something at the sheets down the road. Right. If you made bread, you made it during the day and you made enough to cover your needs. And that was an extensive process. Nobody was going to be rounding up the things that were needed to make bread in the middle of the night. And so when this visitor arrives from out of town in this passage, his host has a real dilemma here. If he's going to steer clear of shame, if he's going to keep his own reputation then he must arouse one of his neighbors to help fill this need. And it's interesting to me because Jesus uses this parable to teach us how to pray. Because he's teaching us how to make our requests known to God. But when the one making the request in this passage does so, did you notice he's not making a request for himself? He's making a request for his guest. He's making a request for his neighbor, as we might see it in Luke chapter 10. as that lawyer asked Jesus, who then is my neighbor? He's, he's making a request for someone else. This is not a case of the late, this guy getting late night munchies and going to his neighbor to disturb him, to satiate his own hunger. No, this is someone who is willing to go boldly before a neighbor in order to make the needs of his neighbor known. But that's the chief example that Jesus begins with as he's teaching us how to pray. And I'm reminded, as we saw last week, of a simple truth about prayer. Prayer, my friends, is not a tool that is meant to get my will done in heaven. Prayer is a tool which is meant to get God's will done on earth. As my will is aligned to his will, and I say, your kingdom come, your will be done here. And for God's kingdom to grow through us, his hands and his feet, we must exercise compassion. And so I say, pray compassionately. Pray for your neighbors. Pray for their needs. Don't just lift up your own needs when you come to the Lord in prayer. Pray for those whom you encounter as you are going along the way. Our God calls for us to make his kingdom our ambition. And through that, he calls for us to love him with all of our heart and with all of our mind and with all of our soul and all of our strength, but also to love our neighbors as ourselves. Because when we are Christ's hands and feet Loving our neighbors, my friends, is a chief avenue for kingdom expansion. And so I say, pray compassionately, for God's kingdom is our ambition. Our God calls for us to love Him. Our God calls for us to love our neighbors. And we ought to be lifting their needs up before the Heavenly Father. And my friends, I just want to tell you, your friends need a friend who will champion their needs before one who can meet those needs. Even when it's not convenient for you to be a champion of those needs and so i just want to ask you are you praying for your neighbors remember we learned when when this lawyer comes to jesus and says who then is my neighbor he gives the parable of the good samaritan the parable of one who was hated by this man who fell along the wayside and was attacked by robbers He, he loved one whom he just encountered as he was along the road those are our neighbors And I just want to ask you, are you praying for those that you encounter in your daily life? Are are you praying for those who are in your family, who are going through struggles of various types? Are are you praying for your literal neighbors, those who live in your neighborhood? Think, who are my literal neighbors? When's the last time I raised them up in a word of prayer? Are, Are you praying for those that you encounter at the gas station, at the restaurant, in the workplace? Think through the individuals who are in your circles that you encounter. Who are your neighbors? Who do you meet along the way that has a need? And are you championing those needs? Because I think so often we're prone to get in this mentality of using our first-person pronouns when we are praying to the Lord. I, my, me, God, give me what I need. When the example that Jesus sets out for us first here shows us that we ought to be praying for Others. Not only, not, only, not exclusively, Father. He's not telling us that we cannot lift up our own needs, but it's very interesting that in this prime example, Jesus draws out the need of a neighbor as showing the heart of prayer. So pray compassionately, for God's kingdom is our ambition. That's the first lesson on how to ask God for His good gifts. Here's the second when we pray courageously, for God's doors are open. Pray courageously, for God's doors are open. When we get to verse 7, things go awry for our dear host who is trying to provide for his out-of-town guest. Because the neighbor he, he has come to isn't ready for a visit. Because ultimately, he doesn't have the bread that's ready. And who would be ready for this visit, right? I mean, which of you is ready in the middle of night for someone to come knocking on your door and say, hey, coming to stay with you for a while and so likewise who's going to be ready for his neighbor to come and say hey man are you are you are you available to pass along some food you know I've got some guests here that I need to take care of in the middle of the night most of us are not going to be ready for this sort of request and so the neighbor yells out like most of us would yell out saying Do not bother me. The door has already been shut and the children and I are in bed. Those of you with children know what that's like, right? I mean, you've been through the routine of, okay, we've gotten done with homework. We've broken away from the TV. We've gotten you shoved into the bathroom to wash up whatever needs to be washed up and to brush those teeth. And then we finally laid you down. And if the kids are ever sharing a room... I mean, that gets even worse, because then there's the chatter back and forth, right, and all, they're, they're talking about this and that, and, and, and you keep, go to sleep, go to sleep, and eventually, finally, everything settles down, and you feel like, I can finally kick up my feet and enjoy a little time to myself, right? Can you imagine, in the midst of that, now here comes the knock on the door, and what's the threat? Oh, no, I'm going to have to go through this whole routine again. Well, that was even more difficult in Jesus' day in Israel. You see, most ancient homes only had one room. And typically, the entire family would be sleeping on the same large mat that was there on the floor. A father couldn't get over to the door. He couldn't slide back that heavy bolt that barred it without waking up his family. No one would be happy to respond to this request in the middle of the night. And for most of us, if a friend came to us in the middle of the night like this, we'd have a word to describe that friend. And that word would be a former friend, right? If you really want to test friendship, my friends, test it in the middle of the night, okay? Don't test it in my place, though. <laughs> but in the end, the neighbor originally says, I cannot and give, get up and give you anything. Though he originally says that, Jesus says in verse 8, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything, because he is his friend, Yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So what is it that makes the difference here? It's, it's not the friendship that the two of them share. It's the word that's translated here in the New American Standard as persistence. And I've learned in my studies this week that this is a word that only occurs once in the New Testament. And this word, which is translated persistence there in Luke eleven eight, 8, could also be translated as shamelessness. It's a word that refers to the neighbor's desire to keep from being in shame within his community. I've already talked about the cultural norms and how this host was in danger of this scandalous shame if he did not meet his guest's needs. And so the host comes boldly. He comes without fear. He doesn't worry about disturbing his neighbor. He comes on a mission and he will not leave until he he arrives at his neighbor's need. And that's a courageous request. Now if we're looking at this story in the context of prayer, some of us are like, "What on earth is going on here?" I mean, I mean, you, if you look at this passage wrongly, you could come away from this the wrong idea that, "Wait a minute, you mean to tell me that God's like a grumpy neighbor who's sleeping and doesn't want me coming to knock on his door?" But no. What you should know is that that's not our God, not by a long shot, my friends. This neighbor is given not as a comparison to the Lord Almighty. This neighbor is given as a contrast to the Lord Almighty. You see, our God never sleeps, nor does he slumber. His door is always open to his children. When we pray, we don't cry out to a grumpy neighbor, but to a loving father. If we know Christ is Lord. In fact, Proverbs fifteen eight says, The prayer of the upright is his delight God delights to hear from his children. That's the ultimate lesson that Jesus is driving for us here. Why is he giving us this parable? Because if a grumpy neighbor will get up and give you help because of this courage and this shamelessness that you offer and because of your boldness, how much more will our Father respond to your needs when you come to him boldly and shamelessly? offering up what you need of Him. You see, prayer isn't bothering God. Prayer isn't bargaining with God. Prayer is not borrowing from God. Prayer is not a burden to Him. True prayer is a blessing to our God because through prayer, we exercise our love for Him, our trust in Him, And our expression of the fact that we know that He will meet our needs. That's why we come to Him and ask. And we don't come timidly as though we're bothering Him. We come confidently, courageously, and boldly before Him with our requests because He's already opened heaven's door, my friends. He's already opened the door. Heaven has not been shut. Heaven has been opened wide because of the work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In John chapter 10, we read these words from Jesus where he said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And, and as he was being executed for his faith, Stephen, the first Christian martyr, had this to say in Acts chapter 7, 56. He said, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. You see, my friends, when Jesus died, the curtain was torn into. That's the curtain that separated the holy of holies from the holy place. The, the, the curtain that separated the people of God from the very presence of God. Jesus, through his death, broke down that barrier, my friends. Jesus, through his death, offers us free access to our heavenly Father. The door is open, my friend. And so we come courageously. We come boldly. We come making our requests known to him because Jesus has opened heaven's door wide for those who will trust in him. He has ushered us into the very presence of God so that we can come with boldness before his throne. Because, my friends, we come as members of the family, not as enemies of the king. And you know, back to that parable... A response to a friend who comes in the middle of the night is a different response than the response you might exercise toward an enemy who comes in the middle of the night. I may meet a friend with hesitancy. like I might be a little bit reluctant to go and answer the door for a friend. But an enemy would be met with my wrath. Right? And God has called us beyond friendship. He's called us into family status with him. When we come to our Father in prayer, we come to open doors to our eternal home place where God welcomes us to come courageously, not timidly, that we might lift our needs before Him. And our God desires prayer that is bold. He desires prayer that is courageous. Coming before Him with our needs is no disturbance to Him. Our prayers are meant to be courageous and shameless in the fact that we're not afraid To use the access that he has given us to approach him. We don't need to timidly tiptoe into prayer. He wants us to know, my friends, that we can come with courage. For his doors are open. And he wants to hear from us. And in this parable, the friend of the neighbor may have had more that he needed help with. But this friend of the neighbor only asked for the bread. Asking for any more than that maybe would have overwhelmed his neighbor. He didn't ask the neighbor to come and to clean or to cook or to provide clean sheets and so on and so forth. There's only so much a neighbor would be willing to tolerate. But that's not the case with our God, my friends. Because our God says we should cast all our anxiety on him because he cares for you, 1 Peter 5, 7. So I say pray courageously for God's doors are open. That's the second lesson on how to pray. Ask God for his good gifts. Here's the third. Pray consistently, for God's answer is sure. That's what the host did with his neighbor. He was persistent. He kept asking. And in this case, persistence got the assistance. Then in verse 9, Jesus said, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Those words in the original Greek language have this idea of a continual verb. They, they have this continual sense to them. That this could likewise be translated as keep asking, and it will be given to you. Keep seeking, and you will find. Keep knocking, and it will be opened to you. And did you know, my friends, that there are some things that God intends to answer through our Persistence. Sometimes God chooses to respond to our persistence in prayer. Now, why would he do that? Well, ultimately, it's his prerogative to do so. But we can imagine some situations where waiting for persistence to answer a request would be a wise thing to do. Sometimes when my wife Amy puts our youngest son, Caleb, to bed, he asks her for water over and over again, okay? And and sometimes that's just a smokescreen for him to stay awake for a little bit longer, right? And and I tend to be the bruiser in our family, right? So so when I sense that he's just putting up the smokescreen for too long, I'll tend to say, Caleb, you better go to sleep or I'm gonna come give you a whooping, right? Because sometimes even after mom's brought in the cup of water, he's like, I want more water, mommy. Boy, you get to sleep. I heard of a, I heard of a father who had been through the same sort of situation where his son just repeatedly asked for water and finally the father said son if you ask one more time for water i'm going to give you a whooping well the the son stayed silent for just a few moments until eventually he said daddy when you come to give me my whooping can you bring me some water now that's a father who learned in the midst of this example that through his son's persistence his son really did have a need And that's a a son who ultimately had to consider his own need in the midst of that persistence and say, is it worth my persisting in this pursuit? You see, through persistence, we sometimes within ourselves come to realize the importance of the needs that we ourselves usher up before the throne. I think about the biblical account of Hannah in the book of 1 Samuel. She didn't have a child, but oh, how Hannah longed for a child. And after years of praying for a child, the Lord gave her a child. But by this point in Hannah's life, she had come to realize that God was sufficient for her needs. So when the Lord gave her a child, she gave that child to the temple so that he might be a servant of the Lord all of his life. She ultimately gave that child back to the Lord. And that child became a great prophet. He was the final judge of Israel and the prophet who anointed Saul and King David. And his name was Samuel. And when that mother named Hannah prayed consistently, her ultimate objective changed. You see, God's kingdom had a greater impact as a result because she came to realize that God was sufficient for her need. And I just want to ask you, have you been praying over and over again, over some need in your life, or maybe some need of someone else that's associated with you in your life. Maybe you're lifting up the prayers like we talked about in that first point. Maybe you're praying compassionately, but in the midst of that, you're not seeing an answer to your prayer. Are you in the midst of that struggle? Then, friends, I want you to know this. God is not tired of hearing that prayer request. God has not grown weary of you offering up that need. And we serve a wise God who this passage makes it clear that when we ask, it will be given to us. Now, sometimes the gift isn't what we thought it was going to be, right? Sometimes it takes years of persistence. Sometimes it takes years of prayer before we see the answer to that prayer. But my friends, God answers prayer. And when he does so, he does so as a good God who gives us the gifts that we need. That's ultimately what we're going to spell out in this final point that we get to here in just a few moments. But I just want to say, sometimes when we pray, we go through the asking state, but not through the seeking or through the knocking. Right, right? Sometimes when we pray over a particular need, God presents for us a way that we could be seeking out And involvement that would bring about the fulfillment of that sort of need. But it's off of our radar. We think we just need to ask it and do nothing further. Whereas Jesus says, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. And there's a very active sense in which we are to pursue that which we are praying about to him. If it is in alignment with his will and his kingdom. But beyond persistence... Jesus gives us words here which are simply a reminder to us that we ought to pray. He says, ask and it will be given to you. James in his epistle writes, you do not have because you do not ask. And I'd say that there are many needs that go unmet in our lives because of our stubborn unwillingness to pray. Prayerless people don't know what they are missing. Prayer is such a costly and irreplaceable privilege that we dare not neglect it or abuse it. And as long as we are in this world, nothing can take the place of prayer. Jesus says, for everyone who asks, receives, and he who seeks, finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. And friends, I just want to ask you, do you believe that? H- how many of you, by display of hands, have, have seen God working in response to answer a prayer in your life in some way or another? Yeah, I'd say that's a good number of us giving a testimony that we've seen that God's answer is sure. Now, it may not always be the answer that we want because the reality is oftentimes we're asking for things that do not align with His will. Warren Wearsby points out that asking here refers to the Father's wealth, seeking to the Father's will, knocking to the Father's work. Then he says this, we have every right to ask for the Father's wealth if we obey the Father's will and do the Father's work. But sometimes we only find that answer through persistence and through trust in our Father's goodness. So I say pray consistently, for God's answer is sure. That's the third lesson on how to ask God for His good gifts. Here's the final lesson. Pray confidently, for God's gifts are good. In verses 11 through 13, Jesus uses the analogy of an earthly father's gifts to his children. If a child comes with a need, in this case it's a fish or an egg, An earthly father will typically not respond with a harsh response. I mean, it would be a very wicked father to respond in such a way as what Jesus aligns here. A father will not give his child a scorpion or a snake in response to his request for fish or for an egg. That would be a ridiculous response, even for a fallen, evil, self-centered sort of father. And if an evil father knows how to give good gifts to his children, how much more with our, will our good God give good gifts to those who ask him? Is what Jesus is showing us here. And friends, you should know this. God is infinitely wiser than you and I are. He knows what we need better than we know. A good father can tell what his children need. And sometimes you should know that when the answer doesn't go the way you want, it's because he's got something greater in store for you. Sometimes when an earthly father won't give his child an egg, it's because he's got a Chick-fil-A bacon, egg, and cheese biscuit sitting out in the truck that he's ready to give, right? And a good father can be trusted with his response to these things. And my friends, our God is a good God. He is a good God. Good father, as we so often sing. So pray confidently, because God's gifts are good. I work that way with my kids as an earthly father. If Caleb were to ask me for a bucket of magic markers, I'm not going to give it to him, right? If Ellie asks me for a bucket of magic markers, I'll be happy to pass that along to her, because I know she's going to do something artful, Whereas Caleb is going to remodel the house, okay? And in fact, I want to give you a presentation of what what this is like now. So Micah, will you come up here for just a minute? So Micah is my oldest son. And Micah and I have been having a conversation going on this week. Jerry, can I get a microphone here? This is Carol. All right, so Micah... Come over this way. I think we're causing interference with the the monitors. All right. So Micah has been asking me if he could go to a party with his friends on Monday night, right? And what has my response been to that? We don't know. Okay. So Micah hasn't gotten a response from me yet. He's made a request of me, but he hasn't gotten a response. But those of you who know Micah know that he has a favorite sport, right? So what's Micah's favorite sport for those of you that know him? Racing, NASCAR racing, right? So Micah's been asking for something, but I have not been answering his request to this point because I've got something greater in store for Micah. <laughs> Micah, if you could go anywhere today, what would it be? I'd go to Charlotte Motor. Speedway. He would go to Charlotte Motor Speedway for the Coca-Cola 600. And Micah, I want to show you that you and I have tickets, <laughs> and that we are going to the Coca-Cola 600 tonight. Sorry. so I love you my son and sometimes when you ask for things I withhold my answer because I've got something better in store for you my friends God does the same thing our God works the same way you can go sit down now thank you buddy you know sometimes God doesn't answer a request that you offer up to him because he's got something so much greater than you could imagine in store for you And if God, just think about this, in the extreme case, right? If God answered all of our prayers for healing, I mean, how many of us would just say, Lord, heal every sick person on this earth. You know, heal everyone who's close to the point of death. But you know what that would do? That would remove individuals the greatest opportunity that we could ever achieve to be in His presence, to to see our Lord face to face to enjoy his blessings forever, apart from sickness, apart from sadness, apart from pain. You see, sometimes God withholds the answer to to the prayers that we offer to him because he's got something so much greater in store for us. And ultimately, Jesus ties this to the fact that if we ask our Father, he will not withhold the Holy Spirit from us. If you tie this in, there's actually a parallel passage in Matthew chapter 7 as Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount where he says the Father will not withhold good gifts from his children. Good gifts, the Holy Spirit, these are put in the same place in these contexts where Jesus is talking about the same thing. What's the the ultimate take-home of that? Well, the good gifts that God offers to us are the gifts that align with his kingdom, the gifts that grow us in the likeness of Christ. This is what the Holy Spirit enables us to do. And so in our prayers, my friends, we should be praying for the good gifts of the Holy Spirit. We should be praying in a way that we would see our lives transformed into growth that only the Spirit can provide. Think of what we find in Galatians chapter 5. Those fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. How many of you are praying over these gifts? Because, my friends, God delights to answer This sort of request. Now, ultimately, what we can tie this all into as we think about God and His generosity, God and His answering prayer, is this, my friends. God always gives the best answers to His children's prayers. In fact, He gives Himself. He gave His own Son on the cross, He gave His Spirit. To us for daily living. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, how will he not along with him give us every good thing? And so let us just close with a word of prayer and then we're going to gather around this table to celebrate the greatest gift of all that God has granted to us. Father, we just thank you that we can come before you in this sort of way. We can come before you as one who has. Compassion, not just for our needs, but for the needs of our neighbors, we, we can come before you as one who desires our consistency, desiring that we would persistently pray. We can come before you with courage, Lord, even though we are weak and broken vessels, you invite us into the family room that we might enjoy your provisions. Father, you grant to us such richness through this avenue of prayer, yet so often, Lord, we find ourselves neglecting. These things. And yet, Lord, we want to just thank you that you do give good gifts. You've given the greatest of all gifts. As we think about the table that we gather around here tonight. On this day, Lord, as we gather, we gather with the mentality, knowing that Jesus has called us to come before this table and to do this in remembrance of him.